Well, good morning. If you didn't notice, I am not Brian Fakes. Um, but we are going to continue our study through Revelation. And uh, we are been moving through. We've done two already. This is our third stop of the seven churches. And uh, we're getting ready to go. We're going to be talking about Pergamum today, as we uh, saw with Rick's reading there. Question I have for you, have you ever done something good for someone that maybe in the end it wasn't really good for them? Has that ever happened to anyone here? Maybe you had the best intentions, but because you didn't have all the facts, maybe you didn't turn out the best. I got a picture uh, to put up for you. I want to see if, if any of you know who this uh, man is uh, that's going to be up there. Does anyone know who that is? This is Robert Atkins of the famous Atkins Diet. If you're familiar with that diet, it's a diet that's a lot about it's eating a lot of meat, avoiding carbs and eating a lot of meat. And um, now I did do some research. I'd always heard that he actually died from too much meat eating, but he didn't. He died because he fell and he hit his head. But, uh, so that was a myth. But it's still the, that much meat is not good for your heart. So even though you can lose weight in the short term, in the long term, it's actually not very good for you if you do too much. Here's a newspaper ad. You're going to put the newspaper ad up there for us. This is from my childhood. Oh, wait. I meant my grandpa's childhood. Um, they, they actually haven't been allowed to advertise for cigarettes since Nixon administration. He, he sent a law that said you can't advertise for cigarettes. But this is a newspaper article, and there were doctors. I don't know if they were paid off or what, but they actually said that some cigarettes were good for your throat. I didn't know that throat cancer was good for your throat. Now, the, um, this is basically, uh, it's, it's a concept where, hey, we want something that's good for you, but ah, they didn't quite, maybe in the long run, was very good. Here's one I didn't know. I had never heard before, but I was doing some research. This is how they used to remove acne. They would take UV rays and put them right on your face. Do we see a problem with that? <laughs> now, they've come up with different ways to make it healthier, but they thought it was actually good for your skin, the UV rays. To burn off the acne and it would cleanse your skin. But as we know, again, that is not something that's really good for you. But I know that this is something I'm guilty of doing as well. Not just, the, not just Atkins or, or the smoking companies or what, but something that I know I've done. For those who don't know, I worked at Radio Shack for three years, actually about three and a half years. And so I um, know a little bit about technology and stuff. I worked a lot with phones and I worked with a company called Boost Mobile, which I don't know if any of you have heard of them, but they're a cell phone company. Uh, we sold their stuff. Well, they're really big in, uh, they have a plan that lets you call Mexico. Like it's in their plan. It's $50 a month. You got unlimited everything. For five extra bucks, you could call Mexico. And so this lady comes in who was from Mexico, and she was like, oh, what a great plan. So I got her set up, and I got this awesome phone for her, and it was a great 55 bucks a month, unlimited everything. She could call her family back at home. We even topped up like two months ahead of time so she wouldn't even have to refill it. She could just do it all then, and then next month it would pull the money out. Perfect plan. Well, like three weeks later, she comes back into the store, and her service has been cut off. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. She said, well, my service is cut off. I don't, I don't know. So I did, I did a little bit more research, and I found out that the plan that paid $5 a month to call Mexico only called three three cities in Mexico for free. Okay. Unfortunately, her family did not live in any of these three cities. So every time she called her family or sent them a text, it was taking the money out of her account for next month. 
So by the end of three weeks, she had burned through a whole two months' worth of, of money. And I tell you what, I felt terrible. But you know what I'd done is I'd done this great thing. I was so helpful for her. I was so nice and got her set up, and she was very grateful and very appreciative. But because I didn't have all the facts, I didn't have it really knew everything 100%, I didn't really help her. But again, this is not something that I know I've done. I know, I bet there's some of us that have done the same thing. Where we've tried to help someone and we maybe didn't really. Maybe you gave someone a bad stock tip. Maybe with something with the stock market. Maybe, uh, maybe you gave some bad relationship advice. Maybe, maybe you gave some bad spiritual advice about Jesus, about God, about the Holy Spirit. And You know, we're not, we're not alone in this field. You know, I'm not alone. I know that you, some of us have struggled with it, but you know who else has struggled with this? The church at Pergamum. We just read about them, but they, had, they struggled with something kind of like this. There was something that they, they did some things right, but there was something that they had wrong. And so we're going to be studying at, in Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 12. That's where we will be uh, this morning. We've been studying through seven churches, like I said, and uh, Brian gave a great intro to Revelation a few weeks ago. If you haven't heard it, you Check out our online, uh, we, we put our sermons online under the services tab of our, of our website. And fantastic opening intro, and you know, it was really good. He, he probably can't say that because that's not conceited, but I will say it. It was a very, very good, gave a lot of info about some, some of the symbolism and some things about that. But, but check out our, our, uh, our sermons, and you can even download them, and you can like, listen to them on the go. I mean, what better way to, to get in the mood for like, to go see Guardians of the Galaxy than listening to a Brian fake sermon about Revelation. I mean, I can't imagine any, any way. But before we dive into the text, let's look at a little bit of history behind Pergamum. There's a few important facts about them that will help us understand why Jesus said this to them. Some of the terminology he used, it'll help us if we understand them. Because Pergamum, as we've said, it was a real place. There was a real church there. There were real Christians there in our real history. The first thing about Pergamum that we need to know is that it was the center for many pagan religious cults. There were tons of different ways to worship. Not the one true God, millions of gods, tons of gods. There were idols and statues and temples and, and healing spas where they would go and they would go into therapy and ask the gods for healing. And there's kind of a lot of creepy stuff that, that, that was there. But there's a lot of religious cults, a lot of pagan cults there. The second is that it had the second largest library in the world, only behind the library in Alexandria, Egypt. And actually, their library was so big, they wanted to rival it. So what Egypt did is they said, you know what, we're not going to provide you with papyrus anymore, which was what they wrote on. So they wanted this big library in Pergamum to rival that. Well, they didn't have anything to write on anymore. So the third thing they did is they actually were the center for the production of parchment. They actually invented parchment in Pergamum. So if it wasn't for Pergamum, we wouldn't have Harry Potter, right? So you should be thanking them. Or if you don't like Harry Potter, then you should be being mad at Pergamum for this whole parchment thing. So they were big into the written word. You know, they had this big library, they had parchment, they were really big into, into words here in Pergamum. The last thing is, it was Pergamum was considered like the capital of, uh, of the Roman Empire in Asia, and they were actually allowed to enforce capital punishment. 
Uh, this was very rare, very rare that they could administer the death penalty. And, but they were given that right by Rome um, to do that, and it was symbolized by the sword. So you'll see Jesus talking about the sword here in the scripture because that is what's symbolized by capital punishment. Verse 12, it said this, To the angel of the church of Pergamum, right, These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. See, there's a couple, there's a couple I think this has a double meaning, this double-edged sword. First, it, the sword represents capital punishment, like we said. It, it, uh, represents, so they would understand this idea of a sword. But also, if we know anything about our, our scriptures uh, and what is, what is written about the word of God is that it's called a sword. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 says this. Let me read this for you here just so you can see a couple different scriptures that talk about this. Ephesians 6, 17 says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. So it says, The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That is the main point there. Go ahead to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. So not only does the sword represent the capital punishment, the sword also represents the word of God, which they are big into the written word here in Pergamum. So he uses, he uses a way to explain himself, to describe who he is, by something that they understand. If you go back through all the churches, Jesus gives a different attribute of himself to each church. And for this one, he uses the double-edged sword as the concept to derive himself to them. Verse 13, whenever we move in Revelation chapter 2, then goes on to say that Satan lives here. Satan has his throne here. Satan has his throne here. And it says a place where Satan lives. He mentions it twice that Satan lives here. As we said, Pergamum was a center for many religious gods. The first temple of the empire was established in the honor of Augustus in 29 AD in, in Pergamum. And uh, there was an altar of the savior Zeus there, of the, of the god of gods Zeus. There was an altar there. And what's actually really curious and kind of creepy about this concept is they had this altar for Zeus that was really big and there's a lot of worship done at this altar for Zeus. And what you had was, uh, you had in Germany, uh, Adolf Hitler actually took his men and had them kind of they, to make a, uh, an exact replica of it so he could preach from Zeus's altar during his reign. So if you can understand that there's a lot of creepy, satanic, evil stuff in Pergamum and what's, what is uh, involved there, that's why Jesus says Satan has his throne there. There wasn't necessarily a specific spot that says, this is where Satan sits. No, it's just saying there is so much evil. There is so much evil worship, pagan worship there. That's where Satan lives. It was also one of the strongest places of Caesar worship. You see, in the empire, they didn't really care who you worshipped. You could worship whoever you want. If you wanted to worship a microphone, you know, they didn't have microphones back then, but you could. If you wanted to worship leaves and stuff, you could worship whatever you want, as long as Caesar was most important. You could worship whoever you want. Caesar's got to be by be the at utmost the highest power that you worship so that's why when we read in here talking about this man named Anipus, this man named Anipus who died for the faith it's probably because he didn't put caesar first he didn't put caesar first and he was killed for his belief in christ because he says i put christ first we don't know much about Anipus other than that jesus mentions him by name for standing up for his faith that's a pretty powerful, that's a pretty amazing reward, Antipas, was that 
2,000 years later, we're talking about him, about his faith. The name Antipas means against all. So you can see this, how this concept of he was against everyone, all the pagan religious cults of the time. See, the church at Pergamum, it suffered. It suffered physically and it suffered spiritually. The church suffered. Now that's something that probably most of us understand, this idea of suffering. Brian talked last week about this concept of Christian suffering and the church here suffered a lot. They suffered physically. It says that one of their people, it could have been maybe even like one of their lead ministers or a member of their church was killed. But they also suffered spiritually because of all the evil that was going on in their world. The question I have is when I look at Antipas and his faith and that he died for his faith, it makes me look at myself. It makes me want to ask the question, you know, what would I be willing to lose before denying my faith? What would you be willing to lose before denying your faith? Would you be willing to lose a car? Maybe you have to, maybe you don't want to lose your car. You really love your car. Would you be willing to lose your house for your faith? Would you be willing to lose a relationship for your faith? Would you be willing to lose your life? Antipas lost his life for his faith. And what I want us to understand is that that's not a small thing. That's not just words written here, that this was a real man who gave his life for Jesus. That's what this church had. They had a lot. They had a few things right. They had some stuff right. Jesus said, you and you know what? He says to the church, you didn't even back down. You didn't denounce my name when Antipas died. So he says, good job. Way to go, guys. However, he says, there's some things that I have against you. I bet that like kills them when they hear that. They're reading this scripture when John gives it to the church, and the church is like, awesome, I remember that. I was there when Antipas died, and it was, it was awful, but we didn't denounce Jesus. And they're like, great, thanks for bringing that up. We know that we worked hard for that. And then Jesus says, but you don't have it all right. He says that you've been holding to the teachings of Balaam. And also mentions the Nicolaitans. These are two concepts. They're probably closely related. Nicolaitans also is probably related to, to what we'll see next week in Thyatira with Jezebel, that there are some similar teachings there. But just to give you a history of Balaam, Balaam was a prophet. He's talked about in Numbers, chapter 22 through 24. So if you want to go read a little bit about Balaam and his talking donkey, yes, that's in the scripture. It wasn't Shrek first to do the talking donkey. God did it first, okay? God used the donkey to talk to someone to try and stop him. But basically, Balaam didn't do a good job of being a, he was a false prophet. We see he is like really hit hard throughout scripture of being someone who did not do a good job speaking for God. He did not have the truth in him all the way, and so he did some bad things. He led people to, de to death. It says in Joshua that when they put him to death, it says that he practiced divination. He did something that was not something that God wanted him to do. And when I think of this like, idea of divination, I'm like, that's kind of weird. Is that anything that like, we struggle with that's around our society today? Like, I don't know. Well, a week and a half ago, we were at the Sparrow's Nest. Um, you're not familiar with that. It's a maternity home right in O'Fallon off Highway K, which, by the way, on Saturday, yesterday, I just got a text from Carissa, and they just got their first client in there. So that is, like, amazing. They have been working for years trying to get this point where they have been accepted. So 
They have a great ministry, and our teens have served there a number of times, and I know our church is, has planned and to, to serve there. But at the Sparrow's Nest, right on Highway K, right, behind, right in front of their property, there was, a, there was a little place that was being rented by a psychic. And she, she uh, was renting this place right there, and she actually got evicted, which is, she didn't see it coming, which is kind of funny, because she's a psychic that didn't know she was going to get evicted. Uh, but anyway, when they went in there, because they were like, this is a great location, because it's, it's right on the same property, it's right on the front part of it, it'd be a great spot. And uh, what they did was they went in, and it was like, re- there were like puppets, like really creepy, like life-size puppets, and like really weird paintings and diagrams and stuff on the wall. And she said it was so creepy walking into this house, because you can just imagine what was welcomed into this home. And so they actually had a church come and pray over the house and just pray for anything that may have got into it. They, don't, they didn't know, but they, had, they prayed to kind of cleanse the house because of all the, the, just even though there wasn't any psychic in there anymore or anything evil in there anymore, still just knowing that it was there was still kind of eerie and creepy. Well, that was what all of Pergamum was like. Like everything was like that there. So we still have a little bit of stuff, but they were going through a ton of stuff like that. And it, it doesn't really affect our faith too much because we don't really see it. But at Pergamum, it would have been effect- seeing crazy things happen and evil things happen would have really shaken their faith. And so when Jesus is talking to them here, he's saying, hey, you guys have done a great job of not you know, refuting my name, not saying you don't know me, not talking bad about me but do you really have an authentic faith is your faith really there and i think that question could be asked to us today do we really have a faith how much do you know about your faith that's that's the question is is your faith just because it's what your parents gave you were you just going to church and then all of a sudden you're like oh well okay well i guess i believe it or is, is, faith, is your faith something that you really latch on to, that you study about and that you learn about? I think of the old concept of uh, counterfeit money and how there's so much counterfeit money out there, just like there's a lot of counterfeit faiths. But there's so much counterfeit money out there, and instead of trying to study all the counterfeit money, trying to figure out all the different kinds, they, the, the people who study this and look for, for fake money study the real money. Study all the intricate details of what real money looks like, of what real currency looks like, so when they see something that's different, they can catch it. And that's what we need to do with our faith. We need to be studying our faith. We need to be looking into our faith so it will compel us to do good things. Verse 16 goes on to say that, uh, this this is a pretty cool scripture. He says, repent therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight. I love, I love what Jesus says here. We, we sometimes look at Jesus as like thumbs up, like, yeah, I'm your best friend. Uh, come, on in, come on over. Let's, let's go on a walk together. But Jesus here is talking about like, I'm going to come and fight. I fight for my church. That's what Jesus does. I love that. Jesus will always fight for the church. Always will fight for the church. You got to think about the fact that the church was started over was started about 2000 years ago by just like 12 guys and we are still a part of that today. 
what great way to show how Jesus will always fight for his churches. His church has changed over the time. We're in a completely different side of the planet now, but we are still God's church. We are still Jesus' church. He won't give up on the church. I, I th- he wants us as the church, as the, as the body of Christ, to be his hands and feet. But there are times when maybe we don't do that. There are times when Jesus says, you know what, i got to come and take care of it myself. And that may have been what was, had to happen in Pergamum if they weren't going to change. He says, you need to repent or I will come and fight against these people. It's kind of like the movie Star Trek. That's what I think of. Have you seen the new Star Trek movie? Not the Into Darkness, the first, the first of the remake. In the Star Trek movie, you have the young uh, Chekhov, really thick accent. Uh, kind of, He was kind of man in it. And you had Kirk and Sulu were trying to like stop this beam from happening. We won't go into too many details. But basically, they destroy it. But in the process, Sulu it starts to fall, and his parachute's broken. So Kirk jumps off to save him, and he dives, and he catches him, and then he's like, I'll pull my chute. He pulls his chute, and the chute breaks. So now they're free-falling to, de- to their death. They're not going to make it. So Kirk is like yelling back, beam us up, beam us up. It's a really intense scene. And the person at the console is sitting there pressing buttons, and they're like, I can't do it. I'm not able to do it. And then all of a sudden, you, it goes over to the, to the main, the, the bridge, the bay there, and you have Chekhov who goes, I can do that. And then it's a kind of comical scene as he gets up and he's running. I can do that. I can do that. And he gets there and he runs and he moves the person out of the way and he presses the buttons and he beams them up and saves them. They live. It's really like, it's a, it's a fun scene. It's real suspenseful, but, but that's kind of what Jesus is like. We can't do something. Jesus is like, I can do that. I will come and I will do that. I will take care of it. Otherwise, we wouldn't still be here today. Otherwise, the church would not still be an active living organism like it is today. I love the way that it's, it's put in this, the book Reverse Thunder. It says that the church is formed by Christ's word and sustained by his being. It's a great quote that, that further pushes that, that he started it and he keeps it going. He's, he's got to be the root of the church to keep it going. So there's, there's a main truth that we can catch from Pergamum, that we can learn from them, that we can use 2,000 years later about our church. And here's, here's something that, that they said. It's that bad doctrine will lead to bad behavior. Bad doctrine leads to bad behavior. So they were doing good deeds, but they really didn't have a good doctrine, a good faith. They didn't really maybe know why they were doing it or they didn't really have it all the way together. And so, yeah, they were doing good things, but they had bad doctrine. But eventually what's going to happen is bad doctrine is going to lead to bad behavior. And I want you to think about this fact that bad doctrine was a part of their church. You've got to imagine, what, does anyone know how many members are a part of the church at Pergamum today? Zero. The church is not there anymore. And probably a part of that had to do with the fact that they didn't have a good doctrine. Their doctrine was not a solid foundation, a solid rock built on Christ like it needed to be. And so now there's churches throughout other places. The church is still living and active, but it's not active in that community anymore. So what bad doctrine are you holding on to? Is there a bad doctrine that, that you keep latching on to yourself that you won't let go? Maybe something you learned as a kid that you just can't let go now. Or maybe something has happened in your life that's made, me, made you think differently about Jesus and about salvation and 
the Holy Spirit, and you're not really sure, and maybe you're not really on the rock, you're, you're not really studying and have a good uh, foundation for your faith, a good doctrine. So I always, when I'm, when I'm doing my study, when I'm doing my meditation time on, on the scriptures, I, I, like to, I like to say, so what? what? What do we do with it? So it's, all right, awesome, we, we got this. It's, it says that, awesome, all right, well, see you later. You know, we could just go home and not do anything. We could just talk about it maybe in the car and then get home and go throughout our days. Or we could go, well, what can I do differently to prevent this from happening? What can I do differently with, with my life because of with the words of Christ? And so there's a few things that you can do and, and things uh, that, to think about as we're going home today. The first thing is that don't give up learning. We cannot stop in our learning and building up of our faith. We have to continue to learn and meditate on the scriptures. It's not something that you'll ever know. I love that about the word of God. You're never going to one day go, I got it all. I got all the answers. Never. No matter how, you could study your whole life, every minute of every day, and you would not have all the answers. That's what's the amazing mystery of the gospel. It's the amazing power of the word of God. We need to always be in learning. Always be learning. That's why we offer things like that summer Sunday nights and the Bible studies that we offer is because we want to be a church that's built on Scripture, that's built on our faith. And that leads to the second one, which says you need to continue to build on your faith. Don't just let your faith get stagnant. Don't go, all right, well, I've done my learning. Good, now I know it all. Now I can keep it to myself. No, go out and build upon your faith by serving. Build upon your faith through all kinds of worship like singing, and by giving, that's a way to, to build your faith is through giving. And you can just so many ways to build your faith that we need to continue to do. So if you continue to do these first two things, if you don't give up learning and you build on your faith, there's a third thing, there's a promise from Jesus that says, you will be rewarded. Now notice how there's an asterisk next to rewarded. Because it's not like you're going to get a medal. And it's not like you're going to get a pat on the back for your, your reward will be that. It's more like your reward is something you may not think is a reward. Or you may not even ever see your reward in this lifetime. You may never actually get to experience the reward yourself. Look at this, the, this last part of the scripture in verse 17. We're going to see this reward that is talked about in scripture. This reward that is promised to us. It's a promise. When Jesus makes a promise, he's going to keep it. The first part of the reward is the hidden manna. It's kind of a weird thing, right? Hidden manna, what does that even mean? Well, um, the hidden manna is a reference to, there was manna that they hid in the Ark of the Covenant that Moses hid. It talks about in Exodus chapter 16 is when you see that in the scriptures there. And it was supposed to symbolize God's faithfulness. That in the wilderness, when they were wandering, that God provided them for, with food. So this hidden manna represents, hey, I'm faithful. That's what I'm, I'm giving you, my faithfulness. The second thing he says, I'll give you a white stone. What does that mean? <laughs> what is a white stone? Well, I ask that question because no one really knows. Okay? No one really knows for sure what it means. There's so many different things for what this can mean from a voting pebble to a victory symbol, to an amulet, to a counting pebble. One of, the, one of the things it could be is an inscribed invitation to a banquet. 
And that would kind of fit the context because one of the many pagan religious cults that was of the day talked about going to banquets and gorging yourself on food and then throwing it up and then coming back and eating more. And then that was a way to worship. I don't know how that's worship, but that's the way that they worshiped. And so maybe this is a reference to that. Hey, I will give you the white stone to my banquet. You know all these other banquets, these satanic evil banquets. Well, I will give you the stone for my banquet. And the last thing Jesus promises is a new name. Now, this could either be a new name for himself that is given that all names, the name above all names that we will all bow to, that we call Jesus now, but maybe it's a new name one day. Or maybe it's a new name for ourselves. He's going to give us a new name that only we know. It's a pretty powerful promise that he says, for you who trust in me, that have your doctrine sound, that are built upon the rock, I will give you this new name. You are welcome in my banquet, and you know that I'm faithful. So this reward is, I think, a good way to, to see it practically is in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is the scripture, uh, it's about all of the, the giants of faith in, in the, from the Old Testament. And it talks about you know, Cain, how he gave in faith, or Cain did not give in faith, how Abel gave in faith, and how uh, David was, was faithful. He did things by faith, and Abraham and Moses, they all did a bunch of things by faith. And the thing that I wanted to make us, to, to help us understand today is that's what it says, is by faith they did. By faith they did it. They didn't just do it, it was by faith they did it. They had their doctrine, they had their beliefs in the solid foundation of Christ, of the Messiah, of God, and then they did. And their reward is practical for us to see because they are mentioned in Scripture. They are mentioned in the Word of God as giants of the faith. That who, Abraham probably didn't know that because of what he was doing by his, by his uh, commitment to God, by not sacrificing his son, that in Darden Prairie, Missouri, 4,000 years later, we'd be talking about him as a man of faith. But his good deeds were, were propelled by his, by his good doctrine, by his good faith. And so that's what I, that is what I want to hold on to, and I pray that all of us can hold on to. Because if, if bad doctrine leads to bad behavior, which we don't want to have bad behavior, then that means that good doctrine will lead to good behavior. And that's where we want to be. That's what we can learn from this church, and that's what we can do differently at our church here at Connection. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word uh, that will uh, never run out, a word that we can always look to, can always learn from, and I pray that we can uh, never forget that. We know that you're faithful. We know that you, uh, when you make a promise, that you'll keep it. And we pray that we can latch on to that as we are uh, acting out our faith and that we uh, will be doing great things in your name, not our own name, but yours. Thank you so much for your word in Christ's name. Amen.